Cheney sat on the end of the bed and said, I don't like my life more than I don't like you. It is rare and refreshing to feast at the table of a seasoned sage who has learned to love and learned to live in the kingdom of God in such a way where his life and relationships take on increasing qualities of eternity. Reese Bricken, the president of Adventures of the Heart Ministry and a leader of men's expeditions, is one of those men. I'd like to invite you to slip into part one of a two-part dialogue that I recently savored with Reese. I think you'll enjoy. Let me tell you what's on my heart. I mean, we've had some fantastic conversations where I feel like, like many young, eager guys wanting to change the world, there are many moments I find myself just barely treading water and I get my rope in a bunch of knots. and, And we've had some conversations where you've posed some really very disruptive questions to me that have left me just stopped in my tracks and forced me to go to God and get really honest about my life and my lifestyle below, I would say, my creedal statements, but to actually where I find life and how I make it work. And Reese, you'd asked me this question of what does a sustainable life look like? You had said with that, that we typically create a life that we cannot sustain. And you asked me specifically, the life that I'm living now, am I able to sustain that for the next five years, the next decade, the next 30 years? And I just laughed because as I reacted to that question, I went, I don't know if I can sustain it through the weekend, you know, <laughs> right. 30 years. You blew me off my feet because your response at the time was uh, regarding your life is you said that you were living a life for the most part right now that you could see sustaining for 20 or 30 years and you're in your 50s. And it, it really, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you really, Reese? <laughs> Are you really? I'm 64. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let me restate that. Oh, my goodness. I still think I'm 25. Yeah, and you act 18 most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Forgive me. So you're in your 60s, and you said you could see yourself easily sustaining it for 20 to 30 years. Well, I don't know if I'd say easily because it's always a fight. Okay. So let's go back to that. And what is it that you were chasing after, and what is it that you meant? Morgan, I think this is what happens. I think that I think I mentioned to you, I remember one of the guys that was sort of a mentor to me said this, that the greatest threat to your ministry is your ministry. And what happens is I think people with good motives get involved in ministry and before too long, the tail wags the dog. Mm -hmm. That is, the ministry becomes all consuming and they lose their life and they don't have anything to offer because they're living out of a vacuum. Mm hmm. And what can happen over time is that the things that matter in the long run are the first things we throw over the side. So uh, years ago, I asked myself this question. I said, what is it that I need to give attention to that will enable me to have a long-term ministry so I not only finish well, but I enjoy my life and enjoy walking with God? And the answer was three or four things. One of them is, obviously, I want to care for my heart in a way where I hear from God, and I'm only as good as my walk with God. Yes. But you can't fake this stuff. Mm. And so that's where I mentioned to you, you are the message. That is, your life is the message for good or for ill. 
And if it's authentic, then God is much more likely to bless that. Uh, and it's going to be a much more pure type of ministry because it's coming out of who you are. So obviously you take care of your heart first. Mm-hmm. That is, you give it space, you give an attention to hearing from God about what he says about you, your heart, your future, the way he sees you, and owning that. See, yes. it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to believe it. And so the belief aspect is actually beginning to believe what Jesus is saying about me is more true than what I've been told, spoken against me, over me, and what I've spoken to myself. Hmm. And so that's the first thing. And believe it or not, that's the thing that gets thrown over the side. Because it's not the obvious. You know, it's not that it's the old tyranny of the urgent thing. Yes. We give attention to what those things that are urgent and we, we neglect the things that, that really matter. Then the second thing was, uh, you know, the couple other areas is one, my marriage to Sandy is I'm only going to be as good as my marriage to Sandy is. Huge. That's huge for you to say that. I mean, say that again. I'm only going to be as good as my marriage to Sandy. That is, am I loving her? Am I creating the type of marriage to where, and and this is ebb and flow. I mean, I've been on both ends of it, Ben. This is the challenging part because you're living with a mystery. But from my perspective, here's the goal, to live my life in such a way that my wife finds it very easy to follow me because she sees Jesus in me and wants to follow. As opposed to? As opposed to me saying one thing and treating her in a different way. Because mm-hmm. this is what happens. I mean, in the workplace and in ministry as well, when the stuff rolls downhill, where does it end up at? You go home and kick the dog or the cat, and then the the tension that you feel can easily be taken out in a shortness with those you live with. Mm-hmm. So... There's the second thing. I mean, you know, in a, as far as sustainability, am I loving my wife and being creative in the sense of, of creating a marriage to where she enjoys it, I enjoy it, and we're on, on the same page, heart level, increasing intimacy, those type of things. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of work, and nobody's going to pat you on the back for that. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. And Reese, and, just to push into that a little bit more, give me the contrast between like a real operational example of what the temptation looks like to live in a way that's actually not sustainable contrasted to what it actually looks like in a very practical way to live out the reality that you're only as good as your marriage. And so you're giving your marriage actually more than you're giving your vocational mission. Yeah. If your wife looks at you, and she doesn't like what she sees as far as the quality of your life, then it's going to be very difficult for her to follow. And there's, over time, there's a, uh, an eroding of trust. And you just want to avoid that. Yeah. And so in a practical sense, that is, see, on a horizontal level, I want to live in my marriage so Sandy knows that she comes before anything else. So she comes before ministry. She comes before people for demands that my allegiance is to her above those things. Does that make sense? It does. And with it, when you say quality of life, not only her knowing your heart for her and her being the priority, but describe what it is that you want her to see in you that's really at stake. 
what is the nature of what you hope that she sees in you that's kind of universal, that's not just specific to Reese, but that's right. universal well, to Well, that, that I'm becoming more loving, yeah. that I'm becoming more true. I'm the kind of person that's kind. I generally pursue her and delight in her mm-hmm. and invite her up into a larger story that I'm involved in and speak to her beauty on a regular basis, those types of things. Yeah, okay. That's really helpful. Because inevitably what happens, the temptation is your wife and your family get the leftovers. Right. And see, it ain't worth it. You pay a huge toll for that. And it's a delayed payoff. What I mean by that is you can go along and sort of band-aid things together for a while. But on her part and the kid's part, there would be a resentment that they're maybe not able to articulate, but it will surface down the line. And nobody sets out to destroy their marriage or their kids. It's just that their validation is so oriented towards coming from those from work and career that what happens is you neglect the things that really matter because we're hoping they'll fill our little cup up. Mm. Maurice, knowing your story, this isn't just an idea, but this is painful reality. I mean, you've lived some of this. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean so, there's a low point in our marriage where Shane sat on the end of the bed and said, I don't like my life more than I don't like you. And this was when you were pastoring, right? This was when I was a pastor, right? Okay. And, and that's about, about the same time I read Wild at Heart. I was in some counseling and began to understand and you know begin to hear from God and pursue my own heart. And the change was not so much by trying as it was the change was through believing. That is believing what Jesus was saying to me because it wasn't me gutting it out. It was me actually believing what he said was more true than my experience had been in the past. Then mm-hmm. another thing on the sustainable aspect is that Am I taking care of myself in the sense of, you know, exercise, paying attention to what I eat, uh, getting enough sleep? It's very easy to neglect those things and think, okay, you know, I'm going to just bear down and, and, and just give it all for ministry. But the price that you pay for that is a delayed response. And later on, you know, if you've got a lot of pounds put on or you have a pattern where you don't sleep well, there's a huge price to pay. And Reese, when you say delayed response, I just want to linger on that for a moment because it seems like the enemy can really whisper to us that there's really a shortcut that's available there, but the account against us gets added up, and I think maybe a concern can easily turn into a chronic situation that could escalate into a crisis down the road and really sneak up on us. Well, if you just eat poorly... I mean, this is the basic stuff. You know, if you, if, you, if you eat fast food all the time, I mean, all it takes is putting on three pounds a year. Mm-hmm. Put on three pounds a year and 10 pounds in 10 years, you're 30 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. If it's five pounds a year, you're 50 pounds overweight. Mm. And what happens is it can be where easily it gets to the point of no return where you sort of lose hope and you just think, well, that's the way it's going to be. And that's a lie, but that's what happens. And then... I think many people would die much earlier than they could have. Mm. And there's no guarantee. I mean, you can eat, you know, organic food, exercise, get plenty of sleep and have an aneurysm. Right. You know, there's no guarantee. But from my perspective, sustainability is 
if I give myself 100% to my career and work, i.e. a ministry, and that's my whole focus, and I neglect those three things I mentioned, then I, I really have nothing. Mm. All I've got is a ministry. See, what happens, Morgan, you know, we've talked about this before, but what happens is the way it's supposed to work is the closer you get to a person or the closer you get to a ministry, the more true and authentic it is. Mm-hmm. That is, the deeper inside the organization you get, the more you see Jesus, the more you see life. That's the way it's supposed to work. That is incredibly rare. Yes. Because what happens is that drivenness becomes what is accepted as godliness, and they're vastly different. Now, Ray, say that again, because that's so important. I just don't want to move too fast through Yeah, drivenness is vastly different than godliness. And see, what we do is we look at a man, we being people in ministry, look at a man that's working 65, 75, 80 hours a week in his career, and we say, what a bad man. I can't believe he's neglecting all his priorities. And then we look at a guy in ministry working 80 hours a week, seeing a lot of things happen. We say, man, that's awesome. Mm. And it's a total blind spot because it's not sustainable to do that. And it's really inauthentic in that it's not coming out of a person's life. Mm-hmm. And so in our culture, what we do is we baptize drivenness so that it suddenly becomes okay because we're, quote, serving God, and we will neglect the things that really matter, i.e., learning to enjoy. You know, Jesus says, keep company with me, and I'll show you how to live freely and lightly. Well, when I look around, I hardly see anybody living freely and lightly. Wow. And that's the kind of life I want to live. So if I want that, then what I was saying is you want to care for your heart in a way where you learn to enjoy Jesus. Care for your marriage so you learn and you have an increasing intimacy and there's an enjoyment there. And learn to care for myself so that my health doesn't take me out prematurely. Yes. But in ministry, it's very easy to to sacrifice everything for the ministry, and in the process, you lose yourself, you lose your marriage, potentially, and you lose your relationship with your kids, and you could potentially lose your health. And what's amazing is the crowds will say, man, he was awesome, but the people that live with you, they will say, no, it wasn't so good. Recently, I have a friend, his dad died, he was a pastor. At the funeral, you know, suddenly he's the fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> I mean, the stories are, are legendary. Yes. And this is his comment. He said, you know, all those people, man, they really got a side of my dad I never saw. Because when it came to being home, he just wasn't there for mom or for me or my sister and brother. Mm. And so that's tragic. Mm. You don't now, want that to happen. Now, Reese, I want to pause there because... You said something earlier in our conversation that no one starts out to live that life, right? And guys go into ministry primarily because they care about people and they care about loving people. Theoretically. Okay. I think that what happens often, even looking at my own life, I think that, and quote God's calling. Yes, I think there is a calling, but I also think that many times people go into ministry or they find themselves in ministry. Let me put it that way. They find themselves in ministry. But if the motivation is, if it gets twisted and I'm in it to please people, yes, then they will get eaten alive. Yes. Say that again. 
Well, if the motivation is to please people, and they don't set out to do that. Yes. But see, it comes out of our brokenness. And if our cup has not been filled by Jesus, we literally go around with a cup in our hand to every person and say, will you fill it up? 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 And as I mentioned to you before, we teach people how to treat us. In ministry, especially what we do is we teach people that we're available 100% of the time. And that's suicide. Mm. Give you an example. My brother was a veterinarian in a second poorest county in Alabama. And he was on call all the time. And I remember visiting him and I was talking about his job. And he, he said, I hate it. Can't stand the people that are my clients. And I, I said, well, you need to get away from them. You just need to set some boundaries. Because if you're on call 100% of the time, you will end up resenting the people that are your clients. Mm. And so we do that in ministry. We teach people how to treat us, and we teach them that they can call us, that we're available 100% of the time. In essence, what we're teaching them is that they can look to us rather than learning to go to God. Mm. Because, as you're saying, there's that hidden motive in us. Yeah, the, the deep need to be needed. The need to be needed. Mm-hmm. Well, you had said it in an earlier conversation to me, Reese, that really threw me back, that you said most people actually don't enjoy their life, and therefore they resent what they're doing and the people they're doing it with or for. Oh, no for. question. That's what, yeah, exactly. Because, see, here's the question, Morgan. Is the life that I'm living worth inviting people to? Or is it simply theory? Because if it's worth inviting people to, then I'm living it. And I'm saying, come live as I live. Not, hey, it's possible to know Jesus and walk with him. I'm not really doing that, but it's possible. Mm. What an incredible invitation to say, right? Because at the heart of ministry is come live as I live. In other words, I'm living a life that's abundant, that's full, that's deeply rooted in inexhaustible resources of heaven. And come enjoy that life with me. Contrasted to let me tell you about a life that's available, but people honestly look under the hood of my life and it's not that attractive. Exactly. I mean, you know, when I run into people, I don't see many people that I meet that I say, you know, I'd really like to have their life. It's very rare. But Paul said that. So did Jesus. Both of them said, in essence, I'm inviting you to live like I do. Wow. Right. And in the gospel, in Peter's epistle, I love the way he says this, be prepared to give an explanation of the hope that's within you to people. He's saying that actually, if you live according to the gospel, this light, you know, yoke yeah. and this easy burden, your life should actually exude hope in a way that's perplexing to people and they should be asking you. But the implications are people aren't really asking. Yeah. And what happens, Morgan, I think is that People don't mean to do this. Nobody sets out to do this. But if what Jesus is saying is true, and if you do learn to walk with him, then it's going to show up in your life. You will be a person that's more positive. You'll be a person that's more gracious, more giving, more courageous, more truthful. You'll be a person that is kind. You'll also be a person that is unnerving in the sense that you're willing to speak to things that nobody will speak to. Some people will like that and some won't. But that's the way it was with Jesus. So let me ask you a question right in that space. Some people might like that and some won't. Right. The need is vast 
and you said it this way. It was really helpful. You said most people are walking around holding their umbilical cord, looking to attach it to you and suck the life out of you. And they don't do that. In fact, you know, the, the clinical term, the psychological thing is transference. Okay. That is, they begin to look to you because you're there rather than looking to God. And see, this is where you teach people how to treat you. So right. if you teach people that you're there at, at every drop of the hat or every phone call, or every text message, that's a heavy price to pay. Mm. Because it's not sustainable. Now, let's push into that for a minute, Reese. How have you matured in that category of going from the guy that was always available? And like you said, well, now, you, see, I wasn't easement as a pastor. I wasn't always available. And see, even when I was a pastor, I mean, I did a lot of things wrong. But one of the things I did right was I never jumped to what people wanted me to do. That's why I got in trouble a lot. And so how did you handle people really being pissed off? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't I wouldn't do what they them. wanted. Mm-hmm. And the way I looked at it was, ultimately, the person I'm serving is Jesus. He's my protector and provider. And if I end up in a place where I'm finding that my loyalties and our allegiance are to what people think and their opinions of me and whether I'm pleasing them rather than Jesus, then it's going to be suicide. Mm-hmm. And so I just wouldn't do that. And I would ask myself, what is my motive here? If my motive was to please people, then I generally would try to say, yeah, I'd either try to get my motive to a place where it really is walking with God and trying to please him and invite him into that. Or if it was a situation where the only motive was me trying to please people, I just wouldn't do it. And so, Reese, did you find yourself spending energy trying to explain your motives to people? or No, I wouldn't you- explain you just let it go and let the just chips let fall. Go. Yeah, just let, let the chips fall where they may. And what was the outcome? As you well, look back, I'm talking... Some people got totally riled up. They didn't like me. Yeah. And this is where courage comes in. This is where, this is where you say, no, I'm not going to live that way. And the reason you're not going to live that way is because if I go down that path, there is no end to the demands, and I will be inauthentic, and it will take me off the center of what I'm supposed to be about and who I am. Mm-hmm. What I appreciate about this topic is, is you describe the funeral of a friend's dad and the external reality, kind of the public. You know, like you said, he becomes the fourth member of the Trinity, and externally he looks heroic for all of his good deeds. But internally, below the waterline, you hear the real story. Like, oh, it's just so gut-wrenching to hear a son say, I don't know who that man was, or, you know, we didn't experience that man. Because he wasn't around, and he wasn't that man when he was home. I think what I want to just pause on is we are talking about the reality that most people fake most of their life. In other words, they never truly take this courageous path to wrestle with the issue of motive and to really pause and ask, why do I do what I do even if I'm doing very good things? Because you're talking about love taking a very different form. When you're saying people will hate you because you won't allow yourself to be treated the way they want you to be treated. They will not have you on a leash. You refuse to put the leash on. Hmm. What I so appreciate, it reminds me of a quote 
Eugene Peterson said that this really in the heart of what we're talking about maturing as men, where he says the two most difficult things to get straight in life are love and God. Hmm. That more often than not, the mess people make of their lives can be traced to the failure in one or both of these areas. Hmm. And see, we got it so convoluted on the whole concept of love. Because to us, love is acceptance, and basically it's just, you please people. Mm. And when you look at Jesus, I mean, he went out of his way to, seems to me, he went out of his way to offend certain people. Mm. He didn't care if he offended people. And I'm not saying you become a Christian Rambo when you go around offending people. But it seems to me you've got to be comfortable with the fact that being misunderstood the fact that ultimately it comes down to control. So they don't want to control you. If a person is high on the scale of control, then he's going to not like that, or they're not going to like that. Mm. But the way I look at it, you know, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to ask, he's going to say, Reese, well, what did you do? How did you live your life? Well, Lord, I was down there trying to please all those people. That's not going to be a very good answer. Mm. Him saying, I loved your life. Yes. I loved how you were true. I loved how you were a man of strength. I loved how you were free. I loved how you pursued me. And there was no doubt where your major affection was. I mean, the well done, good and faithful servant. We didn't want to pack too much into one conversation. So we're going to pick up for a second podcast episode that we will air shortly. I hope you'll join us for part two. You can find this podcast and many other related tools for the masculine soul in the treasure chest at becomegoodsoil.com. Thanks for listening.